What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Can't you see I have blood on this towel? I didn't want the ball kid to touch it, that's why I took so long to serve. Are you stupid? Why don't you take back the time violation? You think I take this long to serve? I'm bleeding. Can't you see that I'm bleeding? We are the Tennis Tragic. It is Sunday, January 26th, 2020. It is the middle Sunday of the Australian Open. It's our last day together in the same city, going to live tennis, perhaps until next year, sadly, but we will continue our efforts to inform the public. But for now, let's enjoy face-to-face. One last time. Yes. Let's be present with one another. <laughs> After an epic day of tennis yesterday, um, and a couple of surprises, and a really big Nick Kyrgios match, Alex was there for that entire match. Yeah, we managed to get there. We made the call to try and queue up and get a seat in Melbourne Arena, because the ground pass gets you in there, so... Basically, anyone on site can get in there, and Kyrgios being Kyrgios draws everyone, anyone and everyone. So we got, we tried to get in there the changeover before Burton's, I think it was Burton's, and I can't remember who she was playing on the match before Kyrgios. Diaz, right? Diaz, yeah. So we, I thought we thought we could try and get in there before that match, and it'll be fine. But we just missed there. So we're in queue for about two hours, um, slowly getting closer and closer. But yeah, it was a bit of a fight to get in, but we finally got in. Um, yeah, and Kyrgios ran away with the first two sets, really. And I thought, okay, it's going to be over pretty quickly. It might be an early night, but then we had a match point in the third set. Um, and Hachinov broke back, and it was on from there, really. It just went to every set was a tiebreak, third, fourth, and fifth after that. It was a tiebreak, tiebreak, tiebreak. Did he have a match point on his serve, or was it only in the breaker? Because he had match points. I saw his match points on the breakers in the third and the fourth. Must have been... Yeah, yeah, you're right. Must have been on in the tiebreak. But he was he was up a break in the third, so it seemed like it was going to yeah, kind of wrap up nicely. Hold, yeah. First set was 6-2, so yeah. he seemed in control. I didn't watch the match uh, completely. We were like at the pub for some of it, and mm. then we came home and finished it off. Um, but really impressive mental fortitude from Nick to not lose his mind after yeah the, after having match points and being in control and not being able to like close the deal. The fact that he was able to stay there on, on that level with a guy who was playing out of his mind as well. Yeah, I'd say even more mental fortitude from Hatchinov, considering that the whole stadium was against him mm. more so than some of the other ones we talk about you know the Djokovic Federer situation stuff like that more right. it was more than that it was it was just the uh, the kind of crowd that curiosity attracts as well they can be pretty aggressive and they you know it's late in the day so a lot of them were pretty drunk and it was it was they were just here to see their guy Kyrgios destroy who was ever in front of him. They didn't even know who was on the other side of the net until really after the match started. They're like, who? What? Hatchin? Who? What? So yeah, you know they were cheering Hatchinov's first serve faults and stuff like this, and cheering misses right. and stuff like this. And it was really, you know, it was kind of pretty aggressively against Hatchinov, and he was really feeling that in the first and second set. You could tell. Um, 
But then after that, every change of ends, you know, from maybe the third set on, he would just sit there, towel over his head, Hachinov, towel over his head, just tune out, try and not f- hear the crowd and, mm. and just locked in and it... Oh, it almost worked. Oh, I felt so bad for him. Yeah, I was not. on Hachinov's side from the start and I just felt so bad for him. You're not excited about Kyrgios Rafa? I am. I was conflicted in that way. Like, I do want to yeah. see that match up, but... Oh, yeah. It's just such a popcorn match. It's like, you know that Nick would love to be playing that on Melbourne Arena, but of course, this is the time in the tournament where all of a sudden there's less stuff going on. Pretty much all the singles matches are Rod Laver and Margaret Court for the next, I think, just the next round, and then it's all Rod Laver mm. starting at the quarters. Mm. So, um, or maybe some Margaret Court. Anyway, uh, that's something to look forward to. I mean, yeah. just, they, you know, that's the sort of like, you know, intense rivalry that gets people excited. And I think the cool thing about the attention that Nick draws here is that, yeah, these are people who aren't into tennis. So, you know, it's a little frustrating that there are these people who are like, who's the opponent? Who yeah. cares? Like, and they just act like bloat, you know, dickheads or whatever. But yeah. but at the same time, they if they sit through that five-set match and, like, see this other guy battling, you're like, ah, oh, this Russian dude is pretty impressive maybe the sport's got more going on yeah maybe it leads people to more interest in the yeah sport, hopefully so. hopefully it's just kind of annoying that he has to go through that kind of grueling match to gain a little bit of respect from a crowd it's like yeah. what do i have to do this is the most this is a tough tough long match and then just by then some crowd some crowd members are like huh maybe this guy's all right, <laughs> right. Like, oh, come on <laughs> but you're right hopefully it does turn people from yeah. just casual general curious fans into deeper tennis fans that would be great and in that case i can see the the point that people have about he's good for the sport you know right. if that if that does convert like that yeah yeah i mean the aussie crowd is a particular type of parochial um difficult uh, aggressive kind of crowd to deal with yeah yeah um, uh, yeah and especially on melbourne arena i think that that's the big stadium that you can get on for free um and there's when an australian's playing there it must just be yeah because all you need i mean you you buy a grounds pass but um yeah i mean that's like i guess twenty dollars if you buy a night pass but there's no way you're getting in on that because you'd be too late so it's about 50 bucks but still that's a really good deal especially to see like you know the hometown hero i just i don't know nick is just such a he's just such a conundrum because he has these moments where he just shows you you know that he has you know that he has this heart and that he you know that he really cares and then he like flips it uh, you know on its face like uh, I, I thought he was so like rude to the umpire yeah. yeah i agree like it's it's such a it's um such a contradiction because on the one hand you've got the nick that um has been on the front foot about raising money for the bushfires and being really caring on that stuff. Um, you know, he was one of the first players to come out um, strongly and and say we need to do something about the bushfires. And, and then the exhibition match got um, got organised. And then also, he seems to have genuine care for like the people around him, like the ball kids and stuff. You know, there was that moment where he had blood on his hands from from taking a dive. And um, and he didn't want the ball kids to touch the blood, you know, um, uh, out of respect, I guess. And that led to a confrontation with the umpire where he said, we called the umpire stupid and just showed no respect for um, someone else trying to just trying to do their job. Um, that's I think that's like this 
you know, an example of the both sides of Nick. Yeah, you pointed this out last night, Matt, that, you know, it just seems like he thinks for some reason that the umpires or like the tennis management are like, are like the man, you know, like that they're the, they're the authority, the yeah. establishment and his like, he wants to rebel against them. But like umpires are just doing their job trying to be fair and can make, mis- they're human beings who can make mistakes and have feelings. You know, but of course, you know, this This is, I think, where we get into weirdo ump territory where it's, I think it's hard for the players to understand, like, why can't they just understand how I'm feeling? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know why anybody thinks that they should just be understood automatically. Yeah. Like, Nick just needed to communicate in that situation, and I think it would have been fine. Also, yeah. it was just a warning. So, you yeah, know, there's a way to, like, kind of be like, hey, uh, you know, I understand I got a warning for this, but I'm bleeding here. Like, can we, is there a way to rescind that? I mean, this is, doesn't feel fair to me, but he just, I mean, he's in the heat of, of battle, right? Yeah. Like he's all worked up and his heart is racing. And, uh, but it, it, in that moment, I was like, oh shit, like this is going to go off the rails for him. And so that's why I do think like his performance was impressive because he kept it together enough to win even though multiple times he could have just folded and emotionally collapsed so we'll see i think you know it's just this is part of what makes him interesting you know he's he's all of these things at once he's not just um you know good nick or evil nick he he has (laughs) his moments where he's you know he's really positive and enjoyable to watch and then moments where he can be a massive bummer Mm. You know, like, yeah, the, the bit calling the umpire, like say, asking him, are you stupid? It was I was asking you, Matt, I was like, do you think that's a violation of his parole? <laughs> like, yeah. is that, it, it's like, yeah, that's right. would that's that what be... Put him on parole in the first place, really, was attacking Fergus Murphy. Was that the thing? Like, yeah, uh, that was the tipping point. Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's such a, it's such a, like, where's the line? Yeah. Like, he's asking a question, you know, it's like... Is that really? It's pretty hostile to me. If somebody asked me if I was stupid, I would take that. As no, it's just an so. It's just so rude, especially on, on like on television and all the people watching. And he's the umpire is there, quite vulnerable. And Nick is the big hero, saying, "Are you stupid?" Like, and the umpire can't really do anything. He can't really defend himself because he's supposed to stay neutral and stay focused on the game. He can't get into um, personal, uh, personal. Um, conversation with Nick about that um, I just wonder if Nick like thrives on that like he needs that kind of conflict because um, that movie in the realm of perfection by Julian Faroe he talks about McEnroe how he thrived on the conflict and it seemed to really help him instead of like losing when McEnroe lost the plot and started throwing rackets and abusing people it actually helped him play better and get even more focused yeah um, I, right. I wonder if, I mean, I don't think that's always the case for Nick. He's so volatile and over, and, and he does sometimes throw matches and just get, um, give up playing. Yes. But he definitely didn't give up playing this time. He was throwing even balls that he couldn't get to. He still dove for them and spectacularly and threw himself all over the court. Yeah, this was like uh, what I was mentioning about the Gulbis match that I saw against Felix Auger-Aliassime and how Gulbis suddenly was getting into it with uh, like a couple of people in the crowd and how he seemed to elevate his play after that. And just, just like a minor example of that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I think McEnroe was defined by that. And it's, it's unusual because for most people, when they get hot, you know, when they start to get upset about something, it messes with their focus. Mm. I mean, that's the way I am. <laughs> like, I, if I get upset, 
like I just suddenly I'm like I'm not able to concentrate mm. on doing the thing in front of me. Mm. I just get distracted and overwhelmed. So it's it's a really rare thing to see uh, pro athletes do. Um, and I think also tennis requires such control and such intense focus that you know players who are hotheads it seems like they're kind they're they're more rare than not you know mm-hmm. more often I think players are defined by their composure you know yeah. like their ability to kind of keep it together and not get overwhelmed by all that stuff like David Goffin who we saw yesterday he is extremely composed doesn't make him a terribly engaging player right. to watch although the crowd were really getting behind him they really wanted him to take it to a fifth set I find that yeah Gofan is one of my favorite players and he's unusual for me to love because I because he doesn't show much emotion at all but I do think there is just something about his style of play the way he moves and attacks the ball and like he kind of seems like there's something about him physically that you know, he's, he's much slighter and smaller than most of the other men who are kind of at the top of the game. So it seems improbable. And he yeah. hits the ball really hard. Yeah. You know, for a guy who's like, you know, 5'11 and maybe 170 pounds, like he generates a ton of power. Um, and, you know, whereas Ru- Rublev actually, I think Rublev and Gofan actually aren't that dissimilar style-wise. Mm-hmm. Like their matchup was... It didn't feel very contrasting. They were both doing a lot of the same thing. But Rublev looks the part because he's he's taller and bigger and he's starting to fill out in his frame. Um, and yeah, that match was like kind of interesting. Uh, I was disappointed with the outcome, but it just Rublev just got stronger and stronger. Um, but Gofan was up a set in a break and uh, had a chance to serve for the second set. It looked like he was just going to be in control of the match. And then suddenly, like, one loose game, and Rublev just kind of kept it up and took control of the match away from him. And that was that. Yeah, not by much, but he just got, got his nose in front, Rublev. And then, um, yeah, pretty, pretty impressive tennis, though, the way they both retrieving. Yes. And we were sitting, like, baseline, near Gafan's box, um, right basically on the court, and you're just watching them run from yeah. side to side getting every ball back it's, yeah it's Gofan hits these shots you know he like he's he's kind of known for his uh, rifling shots down the line and they're just normally winners where they, you know it seems like they often would be mm-hmm. winners and he, he, like Rublev would just be you know kind of in the middle of the baseline you think like there's no way he's getting to this he's leaning in the wrong direction and then suddenly he just pops the other way and and hits like a really strong defensive <laughs> shot to like get get himself back into the point um, I think it kind of is an indication that the conditions are slow and that's what, that's what people have been saying and I know I don't really necessarily always see that but I think that's what, like some of these guys who really rely on winners mm-hmm. are having trouble hitting through their opponents like Hatchinov, mm-hmm. um, like Rublev in fact, Federer. Mm-hmm. Um, just they're not able to just cleanly get through, you know, end the point because mm-hmm. the court kind of slows up just enough but I also think that, that you know on the men's side the athleticism is so crazy now it's like Maybe, maybe we're headed towards a future where nobody's able to hit a winner anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, they're going to have to make the court bigger. <laughs> um, Bethany Maddox-Sands is still rocking those knee-high socks. Yes. We, saw we, her we went and checked that out after Gofan Rublev. On court seven. Yeah, her and uh, Sophia Cannon. It was an all-American affair. They were playing uh, Jennifer Pegula. Yeah, or Pegula. 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 I don't know. You say Pagula, I say Pegula? Yeah, we can disagree, agree to disagree. Um, I don't want to, yeah, I, 
We should find that out. We'll we'll, we'll find that out. Yeah. Sure. Um, and Krachek, I think. Anyway, Krachek, yeah, with Peg, Peggy Lepakula's partner. Um, and shout out to Kate, who's been listening to our podcast, um, all the episodes, I think, and which is amazing. Um, thanks for that, Kate, and for all your good recommendations of places to go. We went to the Marquis of Lawn last night for dinner. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of... I love Melbourne. I think that's a great thing about being at the Australian Open yeah. is you're in Melbourne. It's a great... It's, I always ever, Coming from Sydney, I always think I'll move to Melbourne, but I never do. Right. But whenever I'm down here, I'm like, wow, there's, it's the grid formation, no hills, you can walk everywhere, lots of great coffee and, and pubs and stuff. Yeah. It's a great city. I'm going to, I think some part of me will, will miss it. You know, it's funny because the, the city does feel so alive during the open also. Like it, it feels more multicultural and, uh, and like a little bit busier, especially in the CBD, uh, during this week. Cause a lot of people have traveled, you know, from all over to be at the open. Uh, you know, my friend Kirsten who came with us to the event yesterday, she, as she was arriving, she messaged me and was like, yes. Eh, this event could maybe work on its diversity a little bit. And it's, <laughs> it was like, well, you know, we have white people from France and white people from Spain. <laughs> Belgium. And white people from Belgium. Uh, I mean, it is still a predominantly European, American, Canadian, Australian sport. You know, we're getting, we're seeing more Asian influence overall. And, mm, definitely. Um, well, Anjou from Africa, from Tunisia, yeah, Tunisia is, is playing um, today. Yeah. Um, playing wall Against the Chinese player, yes. Yeah, so correct. that's that's going to be an interesting matchup with nations that aren't as commonly represented. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's our last day, and uh, I guess first up for us, we're going to Margaret Court. We're going to be sitting in the second row in the sun, watching Milos Raonic and Marin Cilic serve each other to death for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> so bring your sunscreen, your hats. Your big floppy lidded hats, and uh, just prepare to settle into the vibe mm-hmm. of the big serving machines. Yeah, oh, let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, but just one last thing. Um, I saw Venus Williams play doubles, uh, mixed doubles, and she's wearing her eleven line. Mm. And they've got that's a, her own fashion line. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if I like it. Mm. Yeah. It's very pink. Um. That's all. It's pink. What else is going on? I you, I you showed me a picture, but I did. I only looked at it for a second. Like yeah, it's I don't know. It's not that great. I've been impressed with the feeler lines and mainly that. And like oh yeah, Nike. The way Nick Kyrgios wore the new Nike last night, that was that was pretty good because he's mixing and matching a bit. He's wearing the salmon. He's wearing the patterns on the shorts, and then he wore the sort of galaxy one. Like for um, a wristband, right? For a wristband. Yeah. So technically, I think that should be going with if he's wearing what Kachanov was wearing. Kachanov's wearing the... the yeah, blue. but we haven't seen anyone else wear the pink version, pink shirt, so we don't know if there's a wristband that matches. Yeah, like, the pink shirt kind of seems like an older shirt. Like, it feels yeah, like, no like kind of a standard... Like, and I don't think that Nick has his own line. I think he's no. just kind of improvising. But I think that's a testament to Nike's line in general, that they're are all these combinations and you kind of see them and it's the same thing on the women's side you know you've got like the full pattern dress and then sometimes they're wearing the yellow top with the pattern dress and there's like the the prominent pattern and the subtle pattern Mm. 
and the kind of just all the different combinations. I think the the picture is is a variation of the new one. It's just no one wants it. <laughs> I think I saw it because I looked up on this on the store to see what their line was before the tournament started, and I, I, there was a solid block mm. color pink there. Yeah, um, that's a good move by Curios because solid block and the the pattern on the shorts together. Otherwise, it might be too clashy. Yeah, I like it because it is. It's a little more grounded. Like you know, you're accentuating like a base that's really you know that's pretty solid and and traditional with something a little spicier mm. so um we're gonna have to do uh somewhere in the, in the in the future we're gonna need to do some fashion power rankings like get all this stuff organized and you know like get some pictures up somewhere and and you know kind of look at it all together because i think it's always whatever we see most recently that's on our minds yeah and uh yeah it'd be cool to kind of review it all see where we stand but anyway uh this is our last podcast together live um you know and uh probably have to ship this later tonight and um but yeah hopefully we'll do another round or two before the end of the tournament and yeah. definitely one after yeah. um so thanks for listening you know keep those uh keep those love letters flowing um you know at least one a day <laughs> makes us feel good about our lives um and uh we'll talk to you soon